Hey guys, welcome to episode 260 of the Startup Diary podcast. Now today we have a guest interview on the show. We have Deepak Shukla on the podcast today. Can you, because you sprung this interview on me very last minute, it's like, <laughs> Harry, we're doing an interview on Thursday, book it out. I'm like, cool, who, what? <laughs> so obviously I listen to podcasts, you listen to podcasts, browsing oh, the podcast. Listen podcasts. You do listen to podcasts, good. Um, browsing the podcast app I'm like flicking through to try and find some new interesting podcasts to mm. listen to uh, and I come across one called Love Life and Entrepreneurship I'm like oh, cool cool cover up the only thing like, that was missing was the word deluxe <laughs> <laughs> subscribe uh, thought cover up was cool seems like a happy go character uh, so I thought okay have a quick listen to some of the shows quite enjoyed it I thought it would probably be good banter to have on the show and I think good banter and this story mm. is sort of what we want to get into um, so this is probably the point where I'm meant to read his blurb before we drop the actual audio. Yeah, give some context. Okay, this is the formal bit, guys. 30-second blurb of Deepak Shukla coming up. Deepak Shukla is the founder of Pearl Lemon, a four-times award-winning SEO agency in London. He bootstrapped the business from his mum's place to a £275,000 company in less than 24 months. He's since gone on to invest in algorithmic trading, launched five-figure online courses, and continues to grow. Deepak is featured in TEDx, SEMrush, BBC, Chelsea FC, AppSumo, Bright Talks, and more. When he's not running his agency, you'll find him running marathons, 24 so far. I think the updated number is actually 25. Completing Ironman, two so far. Getting inked, 40% of his body coverage. Or playing with his cat, Jenny. Guys, this was a really, <laughs> really fun show. The key things you'll learn in this episode are, if you're an entrepreneur at heart, you can deploy that into lots of different businesses. So Deepak has done a lots of different things. And right now he's built his business up to a substantial turnover in just two years. And the key thing that I remember from this show is the focus and the ability to say no and the impact that's made on his business. Enjoy. Deepak, thank you so much for joining us on the mics today. Now I want to get straight into today's episode. So I just want to hear your backstory because I've done a lot of reading. I've watched a bit about yourself. I've listened to the podcast in like less than two minutes. Can you give our listeners an overview of who you are and what you're about? Hey guys, my name is Deepak Chukla. I'm a 32-year-old British Indian who sounds like he's about to go on a blind date. And I'm based in Fulham Broadway. I run a SEO agency called Pearl Lemon. So that's what's bread and butter, i.e. that pays my bills. Over the last decade, I've spent most of my time, I guess they call it digital nomading. I hate that word. I spent my time traveling and fucking about uh, and built, you know, small businesses whilst I was going along the way that funded what led me into ultra marathons, iron men, applying to the SAS and just basically doing lots of random stuff. Turned 30, had my quarter midlife crisis, came back to London, moved back in with my mum. Two years down the road, here we are today. Uh, the business is, of course, going better than it was two years ago. Uh, we're a team of eight right now. And uh, along the side of that, I'm just trying out other shit as I continue to move forward and grow. There is so much stuff to try and unpack there. And by the way, I think you did it in like less than 60 seconds. So you've crafted that. Uh, Listen, uh, I'm going to try and take it back. I want to whistle through this. The digital nomading stuff. Give me an idea. And I know you don't like that term, so I'm not going to repeat it too much. <laughs> give me an idea of what small businesses you made and how, how, like, how did you get into that? And then how did you use that to fund your lifestyle? I mean, people listen to this right now. They see that as the dream, but you mm. did that, came back, located, built a business. Just spend a little bit of time on what the small businesses you did and why you did them and how that 
that mechanic worked really. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so I finished up at Warwick University, English Literature grad, got my first job, uh, or maybe my second, got a, got a couple of kind of grad roles. Uh, I, I was at Deloitte as a kind of tax graduate consultant, met the partners, saw what my future looked like, the idea frightened the shit out of me, quit because I wanted to become a rapper, had no idea how I'd actually make money. Also being British Indian and being a rapper, name your cliche. I um, decided to set up a studio basically at my mum's house, which is uh, where I've kept coming back to over the years. Ironically, I'm here right now looking after my cat. My parents are in India, so they can't get rid of me. Um, and <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, I, start, I set up a recording studio. And then from there, and, which is a physical, obviously location dependent business, but I, 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 I basically... That business died when I got drunk on a bus and left my Mac there without having yeah. any backup files. So I lost about 200 musicians work. Wow. And at that time, uh, a friend of mine said, well, why don't you try and just teach English for a little while? Because, um, you know, you could just do that. So I thought, okay, fuck it. I'll do that. I, um, signed up to an agency. They were based in South Kensington, went along to this, um, French, lovely French family's house, saw that they were charging, um, the agency were charging the client 36 pounds. I was getting paid 18. And I looked at that and I thought, fuck, I can do the same thing. The next day I set up gobsmackers.co.uk, set it up on a Wix website, stuck a load of ads up on Gumtree, Craigslist, um, got a couple of clients in because people tend to think for some reason that I know half I know a little bit like I know what I'm talking about and then immediately went back to Gumtree and figured well there must be loads of broke students that are trying to find work whoop de do I began to build my tutoring agency quickly realized I could do that abroad focused upon two areas which were the students that were like 11 to 13 year olds because that meant regular recurring work in the early days I initially bought a load of flyers off print baby for like 500 quid and went on to Parkopedia and immediately started getting chucked out of car parks because I was putting flyers on all of the actual uh, five-seater vehicles that had baby seats in them and whatnot because I thought, well, they've got to have a bloody kid in their family. Um, got chucked out of a bunch of car parks, but, 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 but it got made in that it was a novel way for someone to receive a flyer about tutoring whilst they were shopping at Waitrose in a shopping center, um, got my initial batch of clients and then also looked at what was being advertised on Gumtree, saw that stuff like SPS tuition and psychology was a good area because you'd get lots of people that thought psychology was easy as pie and they'd have to start doing statistics and then had a complete meltdown. That led <laughs> me to the, the, the richer section of clientele, which were basically, you know, the younger equivalent of WAGs who were like, Deepak, could you help me? Or deeper? could you help me? Um, found that because I'm British Indian, the Arab community connected with me very well because of literally the color of my skin, you know, birds of a feather and all that, focused on where I was making money, quickly built a client base, and then immediately pissed off abroad because I found I could run it from a mobile phone. And uh, yeah, got it to about maybe seven to 10 grand a month. Um, and after about six, seven months in, I cleared about maybe I had about 30 grand cash in my bank account uh, and shut down the business by just turning off my mobile phone, taking down the website and then proceeded to gallivant for about a year, just screwing about because I wasn't hugely involved or invested in tuition. And that was the first of a series of things I did all in that and space. And your timeline, I heard the word SAS. That was, uh, good question. Me an explanation of that. Yeah, yeah. So 2008 was finished uni, 2009 started Deloitte, 2010 uh, went into the Deep Impact recordings thing, which is the studios, 2012, 
2012, maybe that kind of came to an end when I had that bus incident. And then 2012 to 2014 set up gobsmackers tuition. Um, and I ran that probably for about two or three years, um, whilst I was, um, in the UK or, or abroad. Um, and, and that was also the space when I made my own very disastrous attempts at trying to get into the tech space, raise some money, spent it traveling, my investors <laughs> ate me, uh, and, and, and did kind of stuff around that. But yeah, that's the timeline broadly, dude. Oh, sorry. I think you there, mate. Hey, sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah. Sorry. I thought the line went then. I thought you got cut off. Um, <clears throat> perfect. That takes us up to, did you mention, the words SAS in this whole thing in terms of how you got into the ultra marathon and the Ironman stuff, how does that fit into this whole puzzle? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, um, I, my twenties were never really about building kind of businesses. I, I, I really realized that I, you know, the first thing that I did even before kind of school, so to speak, was I went backpacking when I was 18 and I absolutely loved it. And this was in 2004 and I went away six months, no kind of mobile phone. I, I manually, you know, I, I kept a, a, an actual physical journal and um, I, you know, upon, you know, building a little bit of income, really, I just wanted to kind of see the world and do things that I found interesting. And one of the things that, you know, I always tended to enjoy was was running. Um, and to be honest with you, I had really some personal issues, I think, around this time. I, you know, when you, when you, when you're raised in a family where your mom and dad got married at 11 and 13, you, you've basically wow. got kids raising kids, right? My parents, yeah. you know, moved here from India and the first time they saw each other, they got married. And as, 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 as interesting as that story is, it has of course repercussions on, you know, me and, and, and my siblings. And I then, you know, as I traveled kind what of, got siblings do you have back? what's sorry, the family size? Sorry, say again. How many siblings do you have? What's the family size? Um, I'm the youngest of five, um, and I've got three sisters and a brother. Um, and growing up, um, my, my parents came over with, with, with my granddad in maybe the sixties or seventies, the kind of economic migrant story in search of kind of a better life. And, you know, my cousins, uh, because my, my, you know, it wasn't just my mum who came over, it was her siblings. Were you all, well, everyone, the family still live within kind of spinning distance. Everyone's kind of a mile up or down the road. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was an interesting kind of experience growing up and, uh, just, just, uh, I think, you know, it's been, it's been helpful and, and well, ultimately helpful, but it's been helpful and, and I don't want to probably use the word harmful, but you know, there's been, there's been different levels of repercussions and, how that connects to the ultra marathon running was really because when I went into, I did a lot of therapy in my twenties as well. Um, CBT, uh, relationship development, person, person centered counseling, group counseling. And, and one of the things that kind of came out of that as a coping mechanism was that I enjoyed running and Ragni, my um, therapist from mind the charity, um, she, yep. she, she recommended that I just do more of that if it helped kind of settle some of the, the, the energy or maybe the turbulence I was experiencing in my personal life. And, and there's a direct track between, you know, my first marathon was 22, 23 years old. I think it was, it was, um, just before, I think maybe before or after Deloitte, I can't quite remember. And, and, you know, you meet me here today, I've, I've, I've kind of done 25 now. And, um, endurance sport kind of really has had a great calming influence on my life it's been a great way of kind of 
expelling kind of perhaps negative energy, settling my mind. And, and of course, there's also the positive implications it has for my energy levels and health and stuff. So it's really come out of um, some of the relationship and, and personal issues I faced. And that kind of fell away as I did more of the ultras and I experience life and you kind of live and learn and stuff. And, and the reasons that I do it today are really just for the love and addiction that, 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 that it, it bought as a consequence of those initial kind of issues that I was facing. Quick question, just to take it back a minute. Um, and I didn't realize I'd go down this tangent, but I personally find it super interesting. So I'm going to be selfish. Uh, you've got uh, four other siblings. Mm. Um, what give me an idea of what they do and how your parents view the career path you've taken good question um so my siblings are all um in employment um jobs range from primary school te- uh, primary school teacher um project manager in it uh customer care consultant and um like uh some, something around legal services um I think that um, my parents were very um, apprehensive, I think, um, when I was younger um, as to kind of how things would figure out, how things would turn out. Um, but, but I, you know, I, I, I had kind of troubled school years, run-ins with kind of my tutors. And I think it wasn't a surprise that I was maybe to some extent causing issues with all of that being said, academically, I'd always done well. And the attitude has always been that, well, mum, I'll, I'll, I'll do what I want as long as I get an A, right? And it was a kind of uneasy balance. And certainly when that came to kind of leaving Deloitte, um, Deloitte behind, and this is like 2008, 2009, right? The, it's just yeah. credit, there was a credit crunch. A lot of my friends who are like economic students at Warwick who I'd get who I'd got jobs ahead of or were in jobs and then they got sacked um you know there was there was kind of a lot of question marks um around you know what what have I got to do you know what are you going to do and at that point everyone's taught to get your claws out dig into the job and hold on for dear life at that point in time yeah exactly 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 um and um I think that um you know to, to what, what's been very helpful because I imagine that's where you're kind of going to get to um, in terms of that 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 journey. I think that um, you know risk 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 taking is is much you know akin to building any actual physical muscle in your body. First time you go to the gym, it's going to hurt, especially if you're trying to do something you've never done before, and and that's going to have ramifications and, and 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 the hardest thing for many people is not getting to the gym the first time it's it's often going back and, and maintaining that consistency and i think that um you, you know i i i i i i had been trying different things in small ways since i was 14 15 and, and that was very helpful number one and then number two to be honest with you you know my parents were apprehensive but they weren't critical they were just worried and um and, and 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 ultimately i'd seen that you know when push came to shove certainly when i was 18 and i said i wanted to go backpacking before i ever went to university my parents attitude was well you can fund that yourself we're not going to give you any support and and they kind of you know ultimately did when they saw that i started working two jobs i was at natwest in the daytime i went across the road and started at odeon straight after i finished natwest i was pulling 15 hour days and beginning to get a little bit ill and stuff because i wasn't taking care of myself necessarily and in the end they, they you know they they added another thousand pounds to my five grand that i'd made and and i think that 
underneath it all, um, you know, as much as they were apprehensive, the reality is I did have parental support because when it counted, they showed up. And yeah, and that's that's what you need. That's the only thing you need. I love the fact they were like, listen, go work this out yourself. But when it comes down to it, there is a safety net there that I think all good parents should provide. And it sounds like you got that. In terms of, let's fast forward now, because mm. you had that safety net, you did this, your parents are there. Then you moved back into your mom's house. She literally can't get rid of you. You moved back <laughs> into your mom's house. And then you said, actually, fuck it. I want to build a business. And you've gone from zero to... 275k in 24 months there are some people that listen to this podcast whose ears just perked up can we just go into the first three to six months of what that was like how you won your first clients any top tactical tips that the guys that listen to my podcast can take away like what's what was that first six months like good question um so uh scary uh, of course but you know i i i, I think that um the things that I felt would, would be critical were number one, massive action. Number two, trusting kind of, you know, kind of trusting common sense, common sense and, and trying to block out the, the noise of second guessing of, of kind of, you know, I think that it's worry that crushes a lot of people. How, how will someone be perceived? How is the pitch that you write going to, you know, be received? Um, and how, is this platform, whether it's, you know, producing podcasts, whether whatever it is, you know, what is going to be the, the tangible ROI? I think a lot of people get, get, get lost in these, these spaces when, when really for me, I thought, well, you know what? The biggest things that I need to do are number one, take massive action. But then also number two, um, build a pipeline. For, for me, that was the number one most important thing. I thought that, well, you know what? As long as I have a couple of people to speak to a week, um, then everything will be okay. And, and I think that that's probably for me, the number one distinction, uh, as well as the number one issue that sometimes holds, holds people back. You have to have a pipeline. You have to have people that are interested in a service that you offer or the service that you offer. And really all of their, all of their trying to, all they're trying to make a call upon is who is the best person to go with. So, so for me, that was the, the, the number one biggest thing. So I went back to what I knew. I put an ad on Gumtree. I put an ad on Craigslist. I created a profile on Upwork. I started emailing people. I started, um, you know, messaging people on LinkedIn. I was trying anything and everything really just to do what it took to keep my lights on. That was the first thing. The second thing that I did was that I, I left my ego at the door. Uh, I think a lot of people get caught up in their own pride that if someone says, look, you know, can you write a sales, can you manage my Facebook ads? I'll give you, I've got a hundred quid a month to give you. Plus I've got a hundred quid for the ads. And, and a lot of people's ego would say, oh, that's too little. It's not realistic. That won't work. Can't make money from that. And they kind of, you know, just, just, just kind of turn that down. Um, I think that, you know, the, the kind of migrant mentality uh, that, that a lot of people have has helped me in that I, I don't have that pride. I've seen my sister work at McDonald's when she need, needed money. I've worked getting paid two pound fifty an hour. I've done paper rounds. So I'd say I'd say yes to everything, and then I'd always go into it with the mindset of, well, how can I make money from this one hundred pounds this person is giving me? That was the first thing that I'd ask myself, and and that led me really to building a completely outsourced model that I have today. You know, Adina that we made reference to off air, she, she's based in Croydon, um, South London, and I've met her three times in two years. 
you know wow. um uh, we don't meet like we, we don't do anything face to face she's she, she's she's amazing but she's also introverted and she likes to work from home and to be honest with you i don't fucking want to meet anyone anyway i've never met any of my clients ever <laughs> and i've you know i now have guys that will send me five grand a month and they've signed off the billing in the pub whilst they're talking to me over a pint over the phone. And, and, and I think that where I've got to today began with those initial clients who, you know, would only have a hundred quid and I would have to figure out a way to make that work. And the way that I figured that out was, well, there must be someone somewhere who I can pay maybe $5 per hour that is actually really good at their job that can deliver upon this, who's smart. And, and when you begin to reframe, I think, the questions and reframe the challenge and put it, position it as an opportunity, you know, I've now got, for example, Lincoln Green. He's this Jamaican kid, right? He, I found him on Upwork. I started him off on like $4 an hour because that was his publicly advertised rate. Yep. He's 21. He's really fucking good on the internet because he's just grown up. You know, he's Gen Z or whatever the fuck it is. And um, I, I, I sent him a screencast showing him how to do something. He will immediately Google anything outside of that. He, he doesn't understand because that's how he's grown up anyway. And, and you know, I figured out a way relatively quickly of how I could still make maybe 30 quid off 100 pounds. And, and the, the interesting thing is, is that as you actually begin to build bigger clients because you've figured out some pipeline, you're getting introduced to, you know, you're learning more about sales because some calls mess up and all of these things happen. You find that as, as your deal sizes increase, your, your, your cost doesn't increase at the same rate. Yep. So I would go from 100 quid to someone paying me 500 quid. I've not started suddenly paying Lincoln $25 an hour because why would I? Because he's happy with four at that time and $4 for him when he's living at home with his mum in Kingston, Jamaica actually gets him a good life. So yeah, 100%, it's all, it's all relative. What, just as a complete side note, what I was thinking you sell SEO. How did you learn to do SEO to the point that you can charge for it? Like when you're obviously good question, good question. Super smart guy, the university, just how you hold yourself. Is it just the fact that you thought there's a niche in the market? I'll do SEO. Like, why didn't you do social? Why didn't you do anything else? What was it about SEO? And then how did you learn the craft? Um, so I was in the midst of trying to learn digital at large. I do have some background in it, of course, because through my twenties, the way I built, you know, the gobsmackers or tried to do the recording studio, you know, you, you learn a little bit about social media because yep. that was how I advertise these things. So, that, so I did have that background. Um, but then number two, to be honest with you, um, so in the ways practically how I learn, I, I would YouTube stuff. I would watch stuff on Udemy. I would go onto blog posts. I would try things myself. I would use my own website at that time, Pearl Lemon, as my own guinea pig. Um, and when I began the agency, to be honest with you, I was full service. I'd do anything and I'd do everything. And it was actually um, George Ustianis, uh, Go International. You could still look them up. I, I He was the first client. And, and, and he was the first client that um, I, I, I kind of met along the way, one year into the business, that happened to say, Deepak, you know, I'm looking for SEO. I understand that this kind of takes time, that we need at least six months to get results, and you don't see results overnight. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, this is it. This is what is going to buy me my freedom ticket. Why? Because SEO deals are retainer-based. People expect to stay in for the long term. There's no need for any day-to-day -day management of it, and people perceive it, rightfully so, as being something that's relatively technical because of all of the different things that are involved. Yep. So I then, if you met me 12 months ago, 80% of my clients were non-SEO. 
You wow. meet me today, 100% of my clients are SEO. Uh, I, I was earning probably 20 to 25,000 pounds a year, uh, 20, 20 to 25 grand about uh, a year ago in terms of monthly rev, revenue, monthly revs. However, it was largely composed of lots of different things and you know that brought its own problems. Now, we're just reaching the, the same levels again, but it's 100% SEO. I've streamlined everything. I have probably another 15 additional hours a week. And um, it was really just seeing the opportunity and then aggressively doubling down upon it in terms of the clients I would try and approach, how I position myself, as well as you know doing everything and anything that I could to make sure that I knew everything that I need to, needed to to sell it, as well as deliver. But because, uh, but but to sell it, because I think that a lot of people, you know, there's a difference between what we call, you know, the the is it the e the e myth or the e well, there's a, a lot of people go into business with a freelancer mindset. Yep. Instead of going into it with a CEO mindset, if if you're doing implementation, you're not doing a high leverage activity. And 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 my goal always was to start a collection of companies with something that would earn me my bread and butter. So so Pearl Lemon, you know, I want to get it to about maybe fifty grand a month. The guys that I've met along the way say that around seven hundred fifty grand a year, you can still run at very highly high profitability, and then you can use that as cash flow to fund anything else that you want. And, and, and that's kind of the road that I'm on. So there's three limited companies now. All three are profitable. Um, but Pearl Lemon is the thing that's going to kind of bankroll everything else that I do. And, and they, that was kind of the story and, and kind of the, the, the roadmap that I'd always had in mind that, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of along the way and trying to figure out stuff. Just before we wrap this, this up, someone listening right now, and I, it, I've went through a similar process, probably not as drastic as yours because it was over a longer period of time. How do you have the courage to start saying no to work? Because obviously you took a you took a haircut on your revenue to focus yep. down on SEO, which means you had to say no when that guy said, we need a social campaign doing over four months and we're going to pay you 15 grand for it. Like, How do you get the courage internally to say no? What gave you the conviction to start saying no to inbound work? And like, how did you like transition that process? Because that's scary for anyone listening to say yeah. no to work. Uh, I, I, I agree. Um, I... To be honest with you, um, I think that what happened is that I didn't. I slowly began increasing my prices, so that was the first thing. So I didn't directly say no to anybody. I do have people now that come along and ask me, but the problem took care of itself in a couple of ways. So the current clients I had, I slowly started increasing the rates, and then everybody started to fall off because they were like, "Well, Deepak, I bought you a one dollar. I'm not going to fucking chart pay you five dollars for the same service." Yeah. And and, and, and my service wasn't improving, really, because I wasn't focused on you know, managing social media campaigns anymore. So, 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 so to that extent, it took care of itself over time for clients that I had. That and over time, clients that hang on, it's like, fuck yes, it's super high margin, we'll look after it, or you price them out, basically. Yeah. So um, the ones that were super, the, the ones that were great margins, I, I kept on. And I think the last guy fell off maybe two months ago because he said, oh, Deepak, you know, there's some issues going on. And, and I never, as I do with SEO, I never tried to chase the business or to improve or because it wasn't where my focus was. And then in terms of like inbound leads today, I mean, you know, anything that doesn't relate to SEO doesn't exist online anymore about me. So that kind of took care of itself. I just stopped re- I stopped bringing in leads that were related to to to, to um, that weren't outside of SEO, and I guess that the practical thing to say is that um, you know I, I don't I, I, saying no is hard, 
but there's other ways that you can get to the same result. And for me, it was slowly increasing rates, repositioning myself within the space, and then allowing history or allowing nature to take its course because of the rate increase and because I wasn't able to, you know, charge a higher rate and increase the value. Therefore, people would maybe grumble and eventually fall off. Firstly, love the advice. And as we wrap up, last thing, we have thousands of entrepreneurs or wannabe entrepreneurs or eventually have some aspiration of running their own business. What's the one piece of advice you want to leave them with? I think, you know, Richard Branson's advice about fuck it, do it anyway, um, is, is still the, the, the best thing that's helped me you know going in blind and figuring it out as you go along um you know mentality of build the plane jump off and then build the plane on the way down attitude is what i'm hearing yeah yeah 100 you said it better than i could deep out you're a diamond thanks for being on the show where can people find you online to learn more about who you are what you do Absolutely. Um, guys, if you're, um, and, and ladies, if you're listening to this on iTunes or on Spotify or wherever, then, then look me up on the same platform, Deepak Shukla, you'll find me. Otherwise, Google me, Deepak Shukla, DeepakShukla.com. Obviously, if you want SEO, then reach out to me. If you don't, then it doesn't matter anyway. I've got lots of other interesting shit online. So um, yeah, just, 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 just Google me, you'll find me. Deepak, thank you very much for your time, mate. Cheers. Thank you, guys.